Hello and welcome to the Famous Five podcast, in which we share with you a Famous Five adventure written by Enid Blyton. Today's book is Five Go to Mystery Mall. If you haven't read the book and you don't want to be subject to spoilers, please turn on and now. come back when you've read it. Hello, how are you? I'm really good, thank you. How are you? I'm very warm. We're having a heat wave in the UK and it's unbearable for everybody. It is hard work. Yeah, I agree. It's very hot at night. We've been sleeping with a fan on, which I mean, I'm sure people have heard some of the background noise I have here living on a sort of a busy road. Um, And the fan creates white noise, which blanks that out a bit, which is great. But, yeah, it's been really hot. And usually at work, I go for a walk at lunchtime. But it's just, it's so bright and warm. And there's no shade near where I work. So it's not been ideal. But I'm trying my best to enjoy it. Because I'm sure, you know, next year, if it's rainy, we'll all say, Do you remember last year? I won't. (laughs) I'll say, I'm glad it's not as hot as last year. And also, I'm glad I'm not seven months pregnant when it was so hot. Everything is a lot more effort than it used to be but we're getting there october's not too far away now hopefully fingers crossed please it's so close do you know what's wild is that at this time of recording it's almost august i remember getting ready for christmas last year and it doesn't seem that long ago but somehow i'm gonna be getting ready for this christmas in probably the blink of an eye that's time for you Wow. And we are on our 13th Famous Five adventure. Unlucky for some. Yeah, unlucky for us to have to read this one. Do you know, I I didn't mind it when I was reading it, but I was saying to Nick earlier, usually I've um, put sticky notes in sort of 10 or 15 different areas, and there's a lot of the time where I have more to say than we can actually fit into the podcast. But this book, I've actually only bookmarked two bits that I sort of really wanted to talk about and those are in the second half of the book when I was thinking you know like come on I've read um a hundred pages now and I have to I have to be able to talk about this book this is the point <laughs> of a podcast yes I think this might be the shortest episode yet it's uh it, it's a it's a funny it's a funny book it has some of the themes that we've talked about before when the five are split up and we don't ever enjoy that that much. But they're split up so much in this book. Actually, now that I'm saying this, I think there are very few times when all five of them are together. It's it's really the minority. It's not like, you know, two of them go off and have a massive part of adventure and everyone else joins in later. This is maybe three chapters out of 21 we've got all five of the children together oh sorry timmy's not a child we've got all five of the five together (laughs) (laughs) yes it is strange also i feel there's a lot of repetition from very recent stories oh we meet another tomboy that george doesn't get on with Oh, that's true. another case like with five go down to the sea of they've gone somewhere and then this regular smuggling happens that no one knows about but it's regular and you've even got the old man character saying oh beware of the mist you know there's a lot of parallels with the book that's just been yeah that's true and um even though I loved this little bit of story the first time we read it which actually I believe was in the first book it was definitely one of the early ones when George signs a letter as Georgina to show that she's in trouble when she went to do that I thought oh, but we've we've had this before. But then, I mean, sometimes I have to remind myself these books are for children and actually that sort of repetition after 12 or so books is is fun. It was still Has she done it before? Yeah. Yeah, she did it in one of the... One of the very early ones. I thought this was the big revelation of the clever thing. Ah, no, no. It did happen before because we talked about if you were to do that, you would sign the letter as Catherine and I would sign the letter as Jenny and then we would hope that other people would realise it's because we're in danger. 
Um, yeah, so she has done it before, but it is a fun part of the story, and it's a part that you know makes us feel very close with the five because we know if we got a letter from George and it was signed Georgina that it would mean something wasn't right. And it was very clever of her in this book. I genuinely thought that that was a conversation that we had had just in general. But then again, you wouldn't know it, would you? No. Because you've not read any of the books. And you're very careful to not give me spoilers. Now you're saying it, I think, oh, maybe you're right and I'm wrong, but... No, I'm going to... It can't be, because why would you know yeah. it? You wouldn't have known yeah, it otherwise. Yeah, you, you wouldn't have spoiled it for me ahead of time. Because you're a good friend. That just shows that my memory is not as good as it used to be. Is that because when you're pregnant, you have to split half of everything you have with your baby? So, you know, if you eat a bar of chocolate, you can have two because one goes to baby. But also half your brain goes to baby so you only you know you're only working on 50 percent capacity i really like that idea that i could have two <laughs> chocolate bars and claim that one oh, is that's, going to baby but... that's science <laughs> you have two of everything you have to teach the baby from a young age that sharing is good <laughs> shall we crack into five go to mystery more yes let's okay let's start with chapter one shall we just to be different Chapter one, at the stables. So, I mean, I don't want to guess where this is set, but I think there's going to be some horses. George and Anne are at Captain Johnson's riding school. Julian and Dick are off camping with the other boys from school. Now that's the book I want to read. Can you imagine what that would be like? Oh, it's funny that you say that because... Well, when this book started and I realised the girls were at horse camp, I was really into it. And actually, the first, I think it's the first few chapters, um, no, it was probably just the first one when it's only the two of them. But in the first few chapters when they're at horse camp, I was loving it because I read a lot of that type of book when I would have been the age to read Famous Five. You know, I loved any stories about animals and I used to read all these horsey girl novels, even though I didn't have a horse and, you know, it doesn't matter. We've got imagination. So that's funny that you are saying that you'd like to read the book about Dick and Julian off with the boys, whereas I was so excited about horse camp. The reason why I'd like to read the book about Dick and Julian is I would love to know what they're like away from their sister and cousin and whether they are as similar a character with contemporaries as they are. Ooh. Yeah, that is interesting. Because is Julian in charge when it comes to camping trips with his friends? I wouldn't think so unless they were younger than him. Then who is and how does he respond to somebody telling him the right direction or where to pitch the tents? That's true. And do he and Dick just run around inside the horse costume all the time or no? Oh, yes, of course, because they've got that, haven't they? Yeah, they've got Clopper now. They have got Clopper. They should have brought Clopper to horse camp. Apart from the fact that none of the books really continue into the next one. I feel an exception could have been made for Clopper. (laughs) We do get um, a recurring character in Ragamuffin Joe, so why not Clopper? Yeah. Yeah. Anne had wanted to go to the riding school, which takes in children for a week or two, and they work with the horses, learn to ride, get bed and board. Sounds dreamy. Except George just gets bored. Oh, that was very good and clever. Thank you very much. Also, she has a nemesis, another tomboy, Henry, Henrietta. They dislike each other and call each other Georgina and Henrietta. George knows she's being, and I quote, a pig, but she misses the boys. Luckily, Timmy is there and won't have anything to do with Henry. Then a very short letter from Aunt Fanny arrives, and it reads, Please stay another week. Your father is not well. Love from mother. I'd understand if it was a telegram, but for a letter, she could have put in a few sentences. Maybe a bit about Joanna. Or maybe a bit about how they were affording, like... It's fine, we've paid Captain Johnson or Mrs. Johnson for the extra week. Or your father's ill with a cold rather than your father's ill. Who knows what he's got? Oh, that's true, yeah. Luckily, George doesn't take it too badly and just says, what bad luck? Yeah. 
Well, then that's only because she wants to leave horse camp. I found it a little bit sad that she didn't get on with Henry. I was I was a bit upset about the rivalry because I thought that they could probably be besties in another world. Yeah, I agree. I think it was the easy route to make them dislike each other. Yeah. When actually they could share tips on how to be tomboys. So Captain Johnson says that the girls can stay, but as other children will be arriving, they'll have to camp. Then a boy arrives and asks Captain Johnson to help his horse Clip, who is nearly lame. He's with his father and a group of travellers who are headed for Mystery Moor. Captain Johnson stables the horse and another letter arrives. Julian and Dick are coming to the stables. Ah! Well, good. The five are going to be together by chapter two, which is not unheard of in these books, so I approve. Also, as far as horse names go, last book we had Clopper. This book we've got Clip. I mean, come on. I know. I'm with you. In chapter two... The riding school is going to be very full, and Henry may have to camp with them too. Julian and Dick are made to sound like heroes, so everyone is excited that they are arriving. Anne and George are sent to let the ponies out, as Julian rings to say they'll be at the bus stop early. This means Henry must go and fetch them in the wagon. The boys mistake her for a boy when they arrive, and George is angry to find that out. Hold your horses, George, old thing said Julian, surprised. After all, you've often been pleased when people take you for a boy, The goodness knows why. I thought you'd grown out of it a bit. Don't blame us for thinking Henry was a boy and liking him. Her, I mean. George stamped out of the room. Julian scratched his head and looked at Dick. Now we've put our foot in it, he said. What an ass George is. I should have thought she'd have liked someone like Henry who had exactly the same ideas as she has. Well, she'll get over it, I suppose. It's going to be a bit awkward, said Anne, soberly. She was right. It was going to be very awkward. (laughs) Mm. I love that bit at the end. (laughs) It is fun. In chapter three, oh, I've written a note. It says, it should be noted that several times Henry is credited as more of a boy because of her straight hair. I just was, I just, I don't understand. I don't, I'd have to see them together. I don't know if there's an illustration of them together later. I remember seeing one of Henry. In... No, I don't, because my book doesn't have pictures. I just invented it in my head. Okay, well, I'll have a look in mine and see if I can send you one. Okay. I mean, they'll all look like they're in the 40s anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> True. In Chapter 3, Julian asks for news. Anne describes the stables as quite lonely because of the desolate moors known as Mystery Moor. She thinks that only the travellers go there now. They discuss patrons, which are secret patterns with sticks and leaves. They say they will ask the boy to show them, who then turns up for his horse as the five enjoy being together again. He's been hit by his dad for leaving the horse with Captain Johnson and wants to get him back, but it's not safe for the horse. The boy says his name is Sniffer. The five go and tell his father he can't have the horse, where they act very entitled and very rude. They tell Sniffer to come back the next day. And this is where I think Dick is quite possibly the rudest he has ever been. Ooh. Where, where is that? At the end of chapter three, he says, Sniffer says, And you'll come and see my caravan. I shall be all alone there except for Liz. Well, I suppose it would be something to do, said Dick. Yes, we'll come. I hope it's not too smelly. Oh my gosh, yes, that is incredibly rude, and yeah, I agree, that is probably the rudest Dick's ever been. And that's so unexpected for the five, any of the five to say that to the other person. They might say it to each other, because we know they're, um, we know what they think of people that are poorer than themselves, but to actually yeah. say it to the, to Sniffer. Yeah, it's a bit much, isn't it? I don't know if Annie Blyton was in a bad mood when she wrote this book, but... <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Maybe. In chapter four, the boys sleep in the stables. George and Henry are at each other, especially at dinner, when Henry told them tales of her and her brother's adventures. No one is sure that they're true. The boys are sleeping in Clip's stable when someone breaks in. It's Sniffer's father, who trips over Julian and wakes him up, and Julian challenges him. In chapter 5, Sniffer's father says he's got his orders from Barney Boswell that all the travellers need to be on the moor, but won't say why. Julian and Dick don't let him take Clip. 
They tell Captain Johnson, who had suspected that he might try and take Clip, without worrying about the fact that there's two teenage boys in the stable. So it says, The boys told Captain Johnson next morning about the traveller's midnight visit. He nodded. Yes, I ought to have warned you that he might come. <laughs> you think? I ought to have warned you that a grown man might try and break in whilst you're <laughs> sleeping and take away a horse. Yeah, and then he goes on to say, um, they're not always very good to their horses. Well, I'm glad you sent him off. Um, I don't think that that should have been the responsibility of the boys, and especially not with no forewarning. No. But, you know, Captain Johnson is doing, I don't know, his thing. What, what is he doing? Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he's feeling a bit overworked because there's so many children there he's lost the plot a little bit <laughs> then they prepare to go on a hack and knowing george hates henry but not caring for their cousin's feelings invite henry along and unsurprisingly george gets a headache and they decide to ignore her and leave her behind i don't like it no this was a bit of a a funny scene yeah i i didn't like it i I don't know. I'm not really sure. I didn't really have any feelings about the children, but I understand why Dick, Julian and Anne feel like they should invite Henry because um, Dick does say it seems jolly mean to leave her behind with those little kids. And Julian agrees and Anne says that she feels awful about it, but she is worried about asking George because she knows that George will be angry. And then Julian decides... This is silly. To think we don't dare to ask George to let somebody come. George will have to learn sense. Which is a bit a bit much. I feel like his loyalty lies with George. Um, and then when George gets a headache, I do think that Mrs. Johnson handles that well. But I do, I can't help feeling it is unfair to George. Because um, Mrs. Johnson says, Oh, don't take any not notice of George when she's silly. And don't take any notice of Henry either when she's idiotic. And she gives them some food. And then William goes to find George. George says she's got a headache. Mrs. Johnson says, Now listen to me, Julian. Just leave her to her imaginary headache. Don't go fussing round her and begging her to come and saying you won't have Henry. Just believe quite firmly in her headache and go off by yourselves. It's the quickest way to make George see sense. Believe me. Which I think is a reasonable thing for a grown-up to say, but... If Henry was being as nice and polite to George as anybody else, then yes, George would be completely in the wrong. But Henry calls her Georgina, and she knows that that rattles her. And George, George calls her Henrietta, and she knows that that rattles her. So it's not a case of George's being unreasonable. These two people don't like each other. And if you've got loyalties to one person, unfortunately, that might mean that you have to choose between them. And really, it's the famous five. It's the person that has put her neck on the line several times for you and your brother and your sister. Yeah. And yet somehow she is the one that's got to book up and be sensible. Whereas actually, you've only met this other person a day or two ago. I just think it's they're very quick to drop George when they find her a little bit difficult. That's true, yeah. And they, yeah, their loyalties lie with George and they don't owe anything to Henry. And like you say, they just met her, what, the day before. And if they did feel bad about it, they could say to her, we would have liked to invite you, but as you and George don't get on and she's our cousin, we'll see you later. And you can guarantee that if there was somebody there that Julian didn't like, they wouldn't get a look in on that adventure. That is true. That is true. It's Jew's way or the highway. Exactly. George has got Timmy to console her, and William, a boy who really seems to have his life together. Doesn't he? Yes. He's, he's like the sensible, yeah, together, together character in this. He's just, he's getting on with it. He's doing the right thing, he's having a good time, and he goes to bed happy with what he's done that day, every day. Everybody should try and be a William. We should, yeah, we should all try to be a William. In Chapter 6, Julian, Dick, Anne and Henry are on Mystery Moor. Henry doesn't see how it's mysterious, so we know she'll never be one of us. <laughs> they see the travellers' caravans and Sniffer's father 
The children find them very rude, not unsurprisingly, as they ride up to where they live and ask them lots of questions. <laughs> yes. The three are missing George and Timmy a bit. They stop to eat and set off home, but before they know it, they're lost. Henry spots some old rails and then realises if they follow them, they'll get back to the town. The others worry what George will be like when they get back. In chapter 7, George had been looking after Clip and helping teach the younger children. When Sniffer and Liz, his dog, arrived, Timmy is astonished at her and her tricks. Sniffer's sniffing is annoying George and so she gives him a hanky. This starts a through reference to the fact that Sniffy's keeping the hanky clean and still using his sleeve. George asks Sniffer lots of questions that he won't answer. All he knows is they have to be on the moors every three months. The subject is changed to patrons and Sniffer explains them, showing sticks represent caravans and a long stick is the way that they went. George is very polite about Sniffer's caravan. Well done, George. Well done, George. In chapter 8, they're all friends again on their return to the stables. George even calls Henry Henry. They tell Captain Johnson about the railway lines. He said they should ask old Ben the blacksmith, who's over 80, and luckily they have horses that they need to take to him. Captain Johnson says the coast, where the caravans are headed, was all wild cliffs and rocks. Julian would love to follow them to see what attracts the travellers to the moors. George says they can ask Sniffer to leave Patrins. They all head to bed and ask him the next morning, presenting it as a game. He agrees as long as they promise not to be seen around the travellers' caravans. Then they head to the blacksmith. And old Ben is one of these characters where he's introduced in a very exciting way and we're going to have a whole chapter next one called The Blacksmith Tells a Tale, where he indeed does, and then we never hear of him again. Listen to this, how exciting this man sounds. They went slowly down the long lane to the blacksmith's. There it is, said George, a proper old smithy with a lovely fire, and there's the smith. Old Ben was a mighty figure of a man, even though he was over 80. He didn't shoe many horses now, but sat in the sun, watching all that was going on. He had a great mane of white hair, and eyes that were as black as the coal he had so many times heated to a fiery flame. and uh, yeah we're just gonna have one chapter with him and then he'll never be heard of again but Enid was having a having a nice time writing him before she forgot about him completely (laughs) (laughs) also in Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi's known as old Ben while he's out in the mountains and for a second I was really excited because I thought this went in with my vampire theory is it that i think uncle quint is a vampire (laughs) no you think he's a wizard harry potter okay well that's fine good that that goes in much better okay so it doesn't this doesn't quite fit in with my uncle quentin's a wizard theory (laughs) but very interesting that that. old ben slash obi-wan kenobi i haven't heard that name in a long time does in fact feature in this in this book please continue about old Ben. He tells of the people who've gone missing on Mystery Moor, how there's strange noises, and when his granddad was young, it was called Misty Moor because of the sudden sea fogs. The Bartle brothers built the railway to carry trucks to the mine. The story is that the Bartles fell out with the travellers who pulled up some of the tracks, and the Bartles threatened them and they were never seen again. So Ben says, stay off the moors and beware the mist. I wonder if We'll see a mist in this book. Who knows? Who knows? Yes, we will. (laughs) In chapter 10, they return to the stables and after eating, set off to see if they can follow the patrons. Ignoring their promise, they ride straight up to the caravans to question the travellers and they let their dogs get Timmy, who fights them off, and they leave. I really don't like the Five's attitude. Like, poor Sniffer. Sniffer says, I'll put these patrons down for you, but don't be seen near the caravans. They just completely ignore that. Yeah, they, they're they really uncool in that chapter. Um, and that, that was really unfair to, you know, to promise to Sniffer and then just break it because they it's more important to them that they question people who clearly don't want them around. Knowing what the consequences for Sniffer would be because they've seen his dad hit him already. Yeah, 
Not cool, Five. Not cool. I feel that their treatment of Sniffer is so very different from their treatment of Nobby, who was in a similar situation. Yes, yeah. And their treatment of Ragamuffin Joe in the first book when she was very Ragamuffin-y. They, you know, they were quite kind to both of mm. them. And at the start, there's a, they show a little bit of sympathy towards Sniffer. Um, when they hear the name Liz, there's a little bit that says Anne's hoping it's someone to take care of this poor wretch. But then, yeah, they they just sort of forget all of that. But they're sort of unkind to him in a different way than they were unkind to Jan. Yes. It's very strange. Yes. It is, isn't it? In chapter 11, tempers flare, and even the George and Henry stuff is so up and down. Yes. But after supper... It seems that William has done all the chores and also that Jenny the horse has moved from the Penruthlin's farm from in Cornwall to Captain Johnson's riding school. Ah, so we have another recurring character, possibly, because why name two horses in two unrelated books Jenny if they're not the same horse? Hmm. And of course William did all the chores because he's got his life together and he can manage that. He's got all that sorted. Yeah. It was probably in his planner to do. Oh, oh he's definitely got a planner. <laughs> the next day, letters arrive, and Henry has to spend the day with her great aunts. Mrs. Johnson is in a flap as more children are arriving, and so are two new horses. Anne suggests the boys go home. <laughs> <laughs> no, Anne. But Dick suggests they all go camping. Much better. Henry can't go. And George suddenly helps to console her. The five are happy to go off together. And as Dick says, just the famous five together. I liked that Henry had to go somewhere else. Because she wasn't like Joe or Nobby where she could come along with them and it would be okay. So it was nice that she had something else to do. And it was sweet that George consoled her. I guess it was probably, you know, it's easy for George to feel charitable towards her because... Henry's going to go off and do something rubbish and the five are going to go off and camp and have an amazing adventure. But still, good on her. Yes, that's true. At the beginning of chapter 12, I thought it was probably a bit that you quite enjoyed. So Mrs. Johnson sends them off with food and even <laughs> Timmy carried yes. something. George said that he ought to do his share and had neatly fastened a bag of his pet biscuits on his back. There now, she said, you've got your load too. No, don't try and sniff the biscuits all the time, Timmy. You can't walk with your head screwing round like that. You ought to be used to the smell of biscuits by this time. He can never get used to the smell of biscuits. I loved that he had a little pack on his back and a little bit later it's saying their packs begin to feel distinctly heavy and Timmy's biscuits began to slide round his body and eventually hung below his tummy. <laughs> he didn't like that. And George suddenly spied him sitting down trying to prise open the bag with his teeth. Naughty Timmy. <laughs> Can you Very imagine, good. though, tying dog biscuits to a dog? Shadow would go absolutely insane. Yes, yes. Who, which dog wouldn't? And also, why put them in one lump on his back? They should have made it like little saddle bags, like a small donkey. <laughs> I'm sure one of the five can tie the right type of knots to keep a little doggy saddle bag in place. They follow the train lines on the moors and then have a rest. As they do, they see a lump of gorse which turns out to be the ancient engine belonging to the Bartle brothers. They decide to camp nearby. Timmy, who can now divine water, finds a spring. The last book, he was a sniffer dog who could sniff out um, drops of oil on the floor. And now he can find water just by knowing it's there? I don't know. He's just incredible between books he's obviously going on lots of training courses yeah and i almost want to say he's wasted on the five because he's probably the most incredible dog in the world but without him they wouldn't be able to have adventures so it's all okay agreed in chapter 13 liz the dog comes to visit lovely sniffer too and they realize they're not too far from the camp and ironically say that they don't want the travelers snooping round. <laughs> also they quote throw Sniffer a biscuit and tell him to scoot. And I've just written, what? Yeah, that is... And it's not even that they not okay. say to scoot. Scoot off now, Sniffer, said Julian, and no spying on us, mind. 
Timmy will know immediately you arrive anywhere near and come hunting for you. All right. Paranoid much? I know. Julian's afraid of other people acting the way he acts. Yeah, that's worrying. So then something momentous happens. The famous five are not hungry. The first time ever. I, I read it and I sort of had to put the book down and go, they're not hungry? It is weird, isn't it? But what I did think was that sometimes you think you're hungry, but you're thirsty. And as we know, they're constantly thirsty and maybe they just think it's hunger and that's why they eat so much. Yes. And in this book, because now Timmy's been on his course to Water <laughs> Divine, they've got enough to drink. Exactly. And that's why they're not hungry. Well. I think I've cracked it. I think you have. I think this is it. So instead, they play a game and go to sleep. Timmy hears a humming, and so does Dick, who wakes up. He wakes Julian, and they see an aeroplane swooping in a low circle over the moor, led by lights on the ground. They decide to have a snoop in case it's to do with the travellers. Okay, so just to clarify, yes, sniffers not to snoop around near them. No. But if they want to have a little snoop-snoop, that's okay. Yep, got it in one. Great, okay. Just so I understand I'm following. In chapter 14, the next morning, Julian and Dick go alone to the caravans as Timmy has a thorn in his paw. Oh. I later realised that this was so the travellers don't see Anne and George, which sets up something later on. Because I just thought it was a very strange little detail, but I realised that that needed to happen. Yeah, yeah. They go to an old quarry and discover a powerful lamp, the kind that guides planes. But why guide a plane that doesn't land? They're confronted by Sniffer's father, and he denies knowing about the lamp. Anne wants to go back to the stables, but they decide to stay another night. They spend time looking at the old engine and eating. Julian wants to see if the plane returns in the night. I was very interested when they were looking at the train. So, um, incidentally, there's more thorns here. Um, and Dick says, blow these thorns, I'm getting pricked all over. Timmy's very sensible sitting there, not attempting to examine this old puffing billy. And I was like, what is a puffing billy? And that sounds amazing. But then luckily, just uh, two short sentences later, Dick tells us what it is. They had to cut away some of the gorse before they could examine the funnel properly. Then they exclaimed in wonder, look, it's very like the long funnel that puffing billy had. You know, one of the first engines ever made. Ah. That's what Puffing Billy is. It's one of the first engines ever made. And it has a long funnel. The things you learn. That's very good. I like it when she slips a little bit of um, information in that we didn't, we wouldn't have known otherwise. Yeah, very cool. In chapter 15, in chapter 15, it's unseasonably hot for April and they fall asleep. Dick wakes up and goes to spot the light he sees it and wakes the others they see the plane then they hear the thuds the plane is dropping parcels the five take cover and when the thuds stop they open a parcel it's full of a hundred dollar bills they assume the parcels are for the travelers to collect but why i mean i don't know maybe they want massive packages of hundred dollar bills i mean i couldn't say for sure but... who wouldn't they decide to wrap them in rugs and head to the stables to call the police. But Timmy barks, signalling the travellers are on their way. Uh-oh. In chapter 16, they're spotted. But as they escape, the mist appears. Oh! Beware the mist. Yeah, exciting. They sensibly decide to stick to the railway line and hide the money in the old engine. But then Julian and Dick leave Anne and George and head towards the engine. The mist encircles them and they can't find the lines and they can't get back to Anne, George and Timmy. But not that they're still there anyway because they've wandered the wrong way back down the lines. Mm. In chapter 17, as they walk, Timmy growls and goes missing in the mist. He yelps and goes silent. Oh, not a good sign. Then the girls are grabbed. Timmy has been hit on the head but he's okay, sort of. George is frantic. When the men get a look at them, they realise that they're not Julian and Dick. Anne tells them the boys are lost in the mist. Anne tells all and is really rather brave. She has a good thought, which is 
when the men say, oh, these these are not these two boys. This is a boy and a girl. And Anne says, we're two girls, said Anne, thinking that the men might treat George less roughly if they knew she was not a boy. Good thinking. And when they say, where did the boys hide these packets? How do I know, said Anne. I didn't go with them. I didn't see what they did with them. <laughs> do you think they will still have got them with them then? asked the man. Why don't you go and find the boys and ask them, said Anne. I haven't seen or heard of the boys since they left us and went into the mist. I don't know what became of them or the parcels. That's very confrontational for Anne. Yeah, she she does a good job here. She's very brave. Very brave. They take the girls into a cave and tie them up and didn't bring Timmy. Mm. Suddenly, Sniffer appears. He's checked on Timmy and he's okay. George bargains with Sniffer. Sniffer, is there anything you want? Anything you've always wanted, said George. I'll give it you if you do this for me, I promise you. I want a bike, said Sniffer, surprisingly. And I want to live in a house and ride my bike to school. Bless him. I'll see that you have what you want, Sniffer, said George wildly. Only do, do go and get Timmy. And a knife. You got here without being seen. You can surely get back again safely with Timmy. Think of that bike. In chapter 18, Sniffer returns with a knife for George. She says she'll write a note and Sniffer can attach it to Timmy's collar and he'll run to the stables. Sniffer says he'll leave Patrin so they can escape the cave. Sniffer has to slip away as Sniffer's father returns before they can do the plan. He catches George with the note and makes her write a new one. George suggests that Timmy takes it. Then sign your name, whatever it is. It's Georgina, said George firmly. You go and get my dog while I write the note. The man turned and went. George looked after him, her eyes bright. He thought he was making her play a trick on Julian and Dick to bring them here so that they could be threatened and questioned about the packets and where they were hidden. But I am going to play a trick on him, thought George. I'm going to tell Timmy to take the note to Henry and she'll be suspicious and get Captain Johnson to follow him back here. Aha, I am playing a trick too. Very quick thinking. I noticed George is a bit of a mess when Timmy isn't there and that's when Anne takes charge and then when Timmy mm. comes back George gets her sort of gets her strength back yeah no I agree she does she doesn't cope very well when she thinks Timmy's in danger yes but she sends Timmy off with a find Henry and Anne appears to have slept through all that I think she was <laughs> exhausted from being um brave oh, Anne. exhausted from being brave and not upset enough about being tied up to be frightened into you know not being able to sleep so i'm glad i'm glad she had a, a little rest there <laughs> <laughs> using the knife they cut their ropes and sleep on the floor timmy is a little woozy but he heads back to the stables to henry can i just say um adding to what you said earlier it's mentioned a lot about how henry has short hair it's also mentioned a lot that she snores and i just remembered that because this Chapter starts. Yes. Henry had been fast asleep and snoring. Okay. I wonder why that is. I wonder why that was chosen. I, they present it as being a very undesirable trait. The girls earlier say a bit about how it they can hear it through the walls and things like that, but I don't know. Yeah. It's to make Henry clearly hmm. an inferior, looks like a boy girl to George. Oh, so Henry reads the note. And is astounded, but Captain Johnson is away. And I'm sure Mrs. Johnson would have the fright of her life if I fetched her. I simply don't know what to do. Woof, said Timmy scornfully. It's all very well to say woof like that, said Henry, but I'm not as brave as you are. I pretend I am, Timmy, but I'm not really. I'm afraid of following you. I'm afraid of going to find the others. I might get caught too. And there's a terrible mist, Timmy, you know. Of course, Timmy's been to a navigating in heavy mist course and that's why he's not worried about him and henry of course who's the most sensible person in the house oh william william's the only one who has his life together off henry goes to get 11 year old william oh but she does say he's only 11 i know but he's very sensible <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> grab him yes. she leaves the only adult in the house sleeping gets the sensible 11-year-old, who, to be fair, points out that George has written Georgina, so he must be urgent. Mm. 
They saddle the horses with William in charge and Timmy leads them to find George. Tim is getting very wobbly at this point and has to be carried. But they escape the cave thanks to the patrons. They get on the horses, even though a voice shouts for them to stop. In chapter 20, the cool morning air revives Timmy and he's able to run, thank goodness, and the horses take two children each. As they race back, George wonders if Julian and Dick are okay. They are, but they're cold and tired, but decide to walk, and quite by accident find the rails. They get back to the stables, hoping to find George and Anne, or Henry, or William. (laughs) They wake Mrs Johnson, who phones the police, and Captain Johnson. Then they hear the horses arrive. They carry Timmy in and patch his head up. Captain Johnson and the police arrive. Julian tells them what's happening on the moors. The police fill in the gaps. The gang has a printing press in northern France and the notes are forged, dropped here and taken to London. I'm not sure that really clears it up particularly, but... Yeah, if they're they're dollars, why are they being spent in London? I Honestly, I didn't really pay a lot of attention to that part because it didn't really make any sense. I could understand if they opened it and it was English money that was being smuggled in. Yeah. But I don't know... Oh, I guess I just don't know enough about smuggling, but why smuggle forged dollars into London? You've still got to get to America to spend them? Yes, surely. There's no mention of any America. I don't know. Unless Pass. they're Pass. selling them and it's a really long, slow process where they sell them to the Exchange Bureau and then people come and buy them for their holidays and they take them and spend them in America. Yeah, that must be it. Anyway, in the final chapter, they eat, of course, and head out onto the moors with George insisting that Henry come too. William and Captain Johnson go as well. Mm -hmm. They see the caravans leaving. They take the police to the engine. Julian and George go to the old campsite to collect their things. Timmy growls, but it was Liz and Sniffer. George says she will take money from her account to buy him a bike. There's nothing about a home or a school. And then, back at the stables, the girls go upstairs to wash, and George went into Henry's room. Henry, she said, thanks most awfully, you're as good as a boy any day. Thanks, George, said Henry, surprised, you're better than a boy. Dick was passing the door and heard all of this. He laughed and stuck his head in at the door. I say, do let me share in these compliments, he said, just tell me I'm as good as a girl, will you? But all he got was a well-aimed hairbrush and a shoe, and he fled away laughing. Anne gazed out of her bedroom window over the moor. It looked so peaceful and serene under the April sun. No mystery about it now. All the same, it's a good name for you, said Anne. You're full of mystery and adventure, and your last adventure waited for us to come and share it. I really think I'd call this adventure Five Go to Mystery Moor. It's a good name, Anne. We'll call it that too. Anne's becoming a sentient character in a book. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh bless her um, <laughs> Henry never lets on that she was too scared to go and rescue them without the help of William the sensible 11 year old no I mean she's a bragger we we have that told to us a lot but yeah, I mean, she could have she could have said I was a bit worried and I was glad that William came. I think that would have redeemed her bragging quality, though, that we'd know about. Yeah. It could have been a thing for once. She didn't brag about how brave she'd been. She told the truth about how William... Again, it's another abrupt end. It's a crime that doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm a bit stuck with this one. I didn't really enjoy it, to be honest. This is the first one, I think, where I've really not enjoyed reading it I didn't mind reading it but I was conscious as I was reading it that there wasn't an awful lot happening no hopefully it'll pick up for the next eight yeah I'm sure it will I'm sure it will yeah oh have you only got eight left have you got anything else you want to say about five go to mystery more no. Okay, then let me tell you this, because as you know, listeners, we have a picture for every episode, and it is the Lego Famous Five, and they're usually at the seaside or the countryside or whatever. I went to the seaside last week, and I tried to take some new Famous Five pictures, including one of them in a boat in the sea, and it was the actual sea, 
and unfortunately <laughs> the boat was not seaworthy and it capsized <laughs> and filled with water and we nearly lost everybody fortunately they were all saved but as it <laughs> as it, as it filled with water and i was trying to also fend off my dog shadow from getting in the picture it didn't come out very well there is one that i'm quite proud of it'll come out at a later date because obviously they don't use a boat in this episode but what i then had to do was set them out on the rock so they could dry and it looked like the famous five had been terribly shipwrecked and thrown from their boat and landed on the rocks it was quite traumatic oh my goodness yes so i just thought i'd share that with you five it's just me trying to be artistic i'm glad that you retrieved them all can you imagine if you just lost one of them in the ocean? That would be awful, but it was all fine. Oh, good. So, this is normally the part where we talk about the TV versions, but as I said, I've been away and I haven't had time to go through them, so all I'll do is recommend that you guys go onto YouTube and have a watch yourself, have a compare, and let us know what you think of the TV versions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, what have we learned from Five Go to Mystery Mall? Well, firstly, that Julian and Dick went camping with other people. <sighs> I don't know if there's a, you know, a famous Five rule book, but if there was, it would probably be keep all adventures within the Five. Thank you so much. I've learned that apparently dogs don't mind mist. Which is a direct quote. <laughs> Not when they've been specially trained. Absolutely, Miss Dog. Oh, all, all dogs. Wonderful. Mm. I've learned, surprisingly to me, having straight hair apparently makes you look more like a boy. And finally, that William deserves a knighthood and a series of books written about him and how he is a hero. Oh, definitely. I was going to ask you who you thought Hero of the Book was. Well, originally, I thought George, because the best thing in the book is George writing Georgina. But then I discover, through my lack of memory, which I'm quite ashamed of, actually, <laughs> that that's a thing that's already happened. That's already been reused. I actually still think George, because she has a bit of a rough start to the book. Because, you know, like you said, her and Henry just really don't like each other. It's mutual. It's not one of them being unkind to the other, unreciprocated. And she has a bit of a rough start. But once she gets back involved with the five, she's her usual self. She's very brilliant. I did think it was quite sweet that she just, I mean, she kind of loses her mind when Timmy's gone. Um, And then, you know, it was it was a great idea. And... George is the one that encouraged Sniffer to set the patrons for them to follow in the first bit when they just go out on the moor and then later to escape the cave. So I think I think George, as a combined effort, actually, she is the hero this week. Okay, I'll go with you. I'll go with that. Of course, William should be the hero, but as we know, it has to be one of the five. He can join our honorary... List, and I will put in brackets here, it's sensible. Also, I'm noticing more and more that it is taking other people to rescue the five. I'm sure they used to be able to rescue themselves. Yes, that's interesting because I've got the honorary heroes of the book written down here and I've got which book they're from. So I've got book four for Cite Noir. Book seven is Cecil Dearlove and Mr. Luffy. But Cecil was because we really liked him and we felt that he wasn't treated fairly, but he's actually a great character. Mm. Uh, Mr. Luffy... No, Mr. Luffy does save Anne, doesn't he? Of course, this is the Mr. Luffy running across the Moors book. But that's Anne in the process of saving the others. Oh, that's true, yes. Okay, so book seven Mm. was a special case. Then the next one is book nine with Ragamuffin Joe and then book 11 with Ragamuffin Joe. Well, no longer a Mm. Ragamuffin Joe. So yeah, you're right. They, in the earlier books, so books one through eight, they save themselves, except when they get help from Sooty in book four. Noticeable help that has made them honorary, obviously. And then we've had books nine, 11 and 13 recently. So that's that. That's science. And in book 12, Five Go Down to the Sea, Jan rescues them. Of course. 
Well, hmm. well. Seems like they're getting less good at adventures. Maybe they're a bit tired of adventures at this point, because, you know, no time has passed. They're no older. Of <laughs> just, no, endless true. years stopped aging. of their lives and you know I guess you can have too many adventures too much of a good thing they need a they need a little bit of a staycation I think they do yeah so let me ask you and you I mean obviously you can't can't tell because you don't give spoilers but what can we expect next time I have no idea oh I've discovered that if I did read this book as a child, I don't remember a word. Okay, so this might be a new a new one for both of us. Yeah, what I tend to do, because I know you're going to ask me that question, is have a, a quick look at the book or look at the Wikipedia page to refresh myself on what goes on in the book. And then I pick a couple of words that will sort of interest you but not spoil anything. And... Nothing comes to me with this one. I have no idea. So in five, have plenty of fun. I I can't tell you. Ooh, maybe this is their staycation book where they just have <laughs> a nice rest. Yeah, and plenty of fun playing board games. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? We'll find out next month. We certainly will. And we hope that you'll join us. Yes. For the 14th adventure. Ooh, the 14th. And in the meantime, you can find us online. We're on Twitter at Famous5Pod. Our website is www.famous5pod.wordpress.com. And if you want to email us, we are famous5pod at gmail.com. Don't forget, we love to hear which team you are. I'm Team Anne, especially with all of her weird developments and now her uh, finding sentience in these novels. Team, team, hashtag Team Anne forever. And I am, and always will be, and always have been, Team George. And if you'd like to rate us on iTunes or, or write us a review, that would be fantastic, because we absolutely love reading them. It makes us very happy to know that you're out there listening and enjoying the Famous Five with us. Yes, and especially if you'd like to give us five stars on iTunes, that's very greatly appreciated. So, please do come back next month. We'll be with the five having plenty of fun. We certainly will. Goodbye. Goodbye. And I'm stopping. Thank you so much for listening to the Famous Five podcast. And please join us next month for more adventures. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.